Flyover Footy, and you're listening to us. We're a St. Louis soccer podcast on the big 550 KTRS. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is our third week broadcasting. I hope you've enjoyed the first two weeks. If you're new, I hope you enjoy this as well. We're going to do a deep dive into St. Louis City soccer. The previous game, the next game, all the fun stuff in between, and I got Matt Baker here to help me. Thank goodness. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Phil. Always happy to be here. Always happy to talk St. Louis City. Um, a little nervous that you mentioned this is our third week and we just happen to be 3-0. and I've mm. been told this week that, uh, and I hope it's joking, tongue-in-cheek, that we're some kind of a lucky charm on this. I don't like that kind of pressure, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, like, I like talking about City. I like speculating. I like analyzing. Mm-hmm. But I could do without that pressure. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, We accept no responsibility for wins and losses of the team. All we do is talk about it. So uh, let that just be uh, out there in the ether for everyone to hear. Uh, Matt, oh, we're also going to be joined by Santiago Beltran whenever he gets here. He's a busy guy and he's going to join us. um, And we're extremely excited to have him to join us because he's been to the press conference today. He's been uh, following the team training this week. So we'll get a lot of good stuff from him as usual. Um, And it's been an interesting week as far as uh, uh, player news and some things we found out today. So it'll be good to have his uh, analysis on that piece. Indeed it will. All right, cool. Well, let's dig into this Portland match. Um, another winner, right? Like you said, 3-0. and Yeah. Started out um, not winning, right? And, and this is our third comeback win, and we're going to get deep into that. But I think, as usual, let's start with the starting 11. Matt, you want to lead us off with that? Yeah, it was somewhat similar to what we saw against Austin. So uh, we went back to a 4-2-3-1. We had John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, and Jake Nerwinski on our back line. Uh, Making his first ever start and first ever homegrown start for St. Louis City was Miguel Perez in the midfield. Uh, Indiana Vasilev joined him. Our front saw Jared Stroud, Edward Leuven, Rasmus Alm, and then Klaus as our number nine. This marked the first match in which Edward Leuven was officially placed in that kind of number 10 role in that attacking midfield. And I think the the, the big stories from the starting lineup were uh, Jabulu Blom was out. That was his first week out for health and safety protocol reasons was the official reason. Miguel Perez, like I said, had his first homegrown start. And Indiana Vasilev got another start, this time with a mask on to start the match. Like I said, for a bit, I think it lasted what I saw 12 minutes (laughs) total before it just seemingly disappeared. And her loots, it's a clear mask. And so it just kind of got lost there somehow. (laughs) But yeah, it it was a it was a a lot of reminiscent from the first two matches. And like we'll touch on here in a little bit, um, a lot of these guys are seeing significant minutes together. So we're seeing a true, so to speak, uh, starting 11 kind of take shape here for St. Louis. Yeah, and we're seeing options, right? And some guys that can plug and play uh, to save legs, especially in the attack. It's been very fluid, and that's really cool that the system has guys, you know, and and each guy can be different, and the the system still works, right? So that's really cool to see. I thought the weirdest thing about this was Ostruck on the bench, right? This is a guy we we think is going to be a star this year or maybe next year if that's that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I was surprised at that. And one thing it shows me is that um, Bradley Carnell is going to ride who is in form. Mm -hmm. So Jared Stroud in particular has been has played really well in these first few matches. He's been a part of a lot of uh, really dangerous attacks. He had a goal going into this match. Uh, He scored a goal like we'll touch on in a minute. But it's riding the hot hand that we're seeing. And so you keep Indiana Vasilev out there. You you keep Jared Stroud out there. Um, You keep Edward Leuven out there. Klaus, those kinds of guys. But 
you do see that propensity for some of the guys, whether they're in form, whether they just they're they're needing a breather or a break to allow some of these uh, next man up depth pieces like like Joachini, like Alm, Vasilev, those types of players who they haven't started every match, but they're reliable in the attack and you can move some pieces around. You can have a Leuven or a Vasilev start in your number 10. You can have Jared Stroud move from left to right. You can have Tomas Ostrak anywhere up front. So it gives that flexibility, and when we've seen subs in the second half for the attack regularly, you're seeing mixing and matching here. So I think it only makes sense that when you give a certain player like Ostrak a breather, you know, you expect him to come in the second half just like he's had done for him, and mm-hmm. we saw that. Yeah, absolutely, we did. We saw him come in with energy. Um, one thing that I've noticed that when Leuven's playing the 10, it's when Miguel Perez is on the field. So that's, I wonder yes. if there's like this connection as far as making sure, you know, a captain or an elder kind of situation where Leuven can kind of make sure Miggy's in the right place and he can provide some cover if, if that needs to happen. A lot of times they'll talk about uh, Trivet is like a lot of people will talk about the MMA midfield for the national team, how yep. if necessary, yeah, maybe McKenney's the 10, but he's definitely getting back when it calls for it and someone else might push forward. So um, just something to watch. Maybe that's a possibility. The other thing is Indy Vasilev, when he's in, I've noticed he's able to ping the ball to the either side. And that's something that MLS pundits are picking up on, something that Leuven's extremely good at, right? And he does it regularly, is making those switches. Indy's good at them, too. So we don't lose anything there. And the interesting thing is uh, there was some, some gr- a great article from The Analyst that kind of detailed Edward Leuven's involvement in our offense. We saw it a lot this game, especially by playing that number 10, where he's, he's seeing the most build-up to shots. He's seeing the most shots and chance creations in the attacking end for our entire team. He's tied with Klaus in overall attacking sequence involvements with 14 this year. Mm. And his ability to build up to a shot in that number 10 role is something I don't think we expected from him so much to begin the year, but the way that a Vasilev or a Miggy Perez or Blom when he's in allows that that defensive midfield to really um, firm up, it gives Leuven the flexibility and freedom to push forward, and that's caused a lot of success for St. Louis so far. Indeed it does, and uh, I think maybe we'll probably kick into that a little bit more as we move on or even after um, in the post-show post, post show, uh, chat that we do. But let's move on to the highlights of the match. Um, as we said earlier, St. Louis started this one from behind again. There was a Portland goal in the third minute by Zach McGraw. Matt, you want to lead us into this one? Yeah, it was a corner kick, and just like in preseason and the first few weeks of the season, St. Louis has, if, they're go- if they've been vulnerable in any one area, it's been these set pieces, the corner kicks. And the way this set up, we had Klaus, Parker, Hebert, and Leuven on the goal line to defend the deep ball. And when the ball was crossed in, it didn't go right to uh, the goal line where they were. It was crossed more to the middle of the box where Tomas Ostrak and, or I'm sorry, Rasmus Alm and Jake Nowinski were. And they were marking players. Uh, McGraw just kind of jumped over everybody. He's a he's a tall defensive center back for them. And he just jumped over him while mm-hmm. Hebert and Leuven were kind of moving towards him as they saw the ball come out. Uh, the bodies seemed to go towards the ball and they didn't so much go towards McGraw. And oh. he just kind of had the edge as he, you know, had that early. And it, it three minutes in that that was an early knock to the teeth. Yeah, I, I think there were two Portland players right there and like four St. Louis players, and he, yep. just, he just rose above everybody, like you said. Yep. Um, yeah, and that's one thing. I think we were all – I think this will be a theme of today's show. Um, 
But the fact that we signed yet another center back, we thought might have been strange with Lucas Bartlett. Um, you know, now we're, we're seeing that that's paying off and that it was a smart move. But the other side to that Bartlett uh, situation is maybe they did see that that um, defending set pieces was a problem and they wanted to bring in a big guy. It would He's Height. by far the tallest guy. Yes, Tim Parker's like 6'2". Heber's not a big guy. Bell's a tall guy, sorry. Bell is not a tall guy. So anyway, that's something that perhaps they knew there was a weakness there. A little foreshadowing of the future in this game when we mentioned Lucas um, Bartlett there. Uh, But let's move to the next goal, if that's okay with you, Matt. Well, honestly, in between the two goals, you saw uh, what what St. Louis, I think, has to get credit for is the first 35 minutes or so. They had, they were not playing their style of offense. They were, they were kind of being held in check and Portland came into this match with a five, three, two look. So they were defensive heavy. They came into the match with their own set of injuries. And so as a team that usually pushes the ball up the field pretty well and has a Vander as their playmaker, they didn't have that Vander didn't start. He only played about 50 minutes. He was on a minutes limit because of his injury. And the way that Portland held St. Louis in check, we had 60% possession that first 35 minutes. We are the opposite team to that. We will typically go anywhere from a 37 to a 45% possession just by the nature of moving the ball up the field quickly with those long passes and, and really creating that verticality. So the first half between that goal by McGraw and what happens in stoppage of the first half, we started to trend in a positive way. So we started to have Indy Vasilev able to create and get a little bit more space to move the ball up the field. And that's exactly what led into that second goal. Yeah, and first, I'm, first goal for St. Louis. I'm glad you talked about that first before the goal because that is vital. You know, part of me thought about Evander not being the plan and that they just sat back because Evander um, was not expected to come in. Um, and, and again, and maybe too, that's why they underperformed a little bit once he came in. But, um, you know, yes, they got that early goal. But Carnell said ahead of this game that he did not expect St. Louis, or sorry, they did not expect Portland to keep the ball much that this was going to be the game plan. So since he said that, like, I don't have to overthink it really. This is the plan. This, they're going to sit back. They're going to let St. Louis have the ball, which with city two, we saw um, until they adjusted to it was a really good strategy. And I just love that they gave us the ball and we did something with it, right? Which, which leads, this is our second goal that we've gotten through the run of play this season. Not just a weird turnover, not, you know, a set piece, not uh, whatever. This was, you know, good, pretty soccer. We were given the ball and we did something with it. It was beautiful soccer. I mean, and and it, it, it was, it was magnified by the fact that we were so ineffective going before that goal. I, I was, tweeting out numerous times just how I wanted to see Indiana Vasilev get some space, be able to clear the ball and move it to either side, Mm. because that's where we're most successful is when we can create space in the midfield and get it to one of our wingers, our fullbacks to move the ball up the field. And that's exactly what happened here. So Vasilev was able to create space in the defensive half and and enough space to get Jake Nerwinski involved on the right side. Nerwinski pushed up past midfield, gave it to Rasmus Alm really deep, who got a cross in on the ground and it was a cross to Klaus at first and he gave it the slightest touch, almost as a misdirection. And it was Jared Stroud who was able to collect it there in the middle of the box and strike it home. 
Yeah, I do think Klaus wanted to shoot it. I mean, let's be fair here. I'm sure he wanted that goal, but the fact that it landed at Stroud's feet and that he was making a late run into yes. the box, perfect timing. It landed at his feet. He was there, and he smashed it home. Um, so, you know, he's having a great first three games, scoring uh, plenty of goals for us. Um, and, and that's not something I expected, but another little tidbit that I think we heard from someone this week, I read an article that there were a lot of people that wanted Jared Stroud that uh, wanted to get him from Austin on a trade this season which is like really cool to hear that um you know it's not terrible a terrible surprise that, that stroud is performing well no and, and you need to give stroud credit because going into he he had success he had some limited success with new york when he was there he was uh great with assists but when he was drafted by austin in their expansion draft he saw some time in their first season he didn't really see much time last year and when you look back at what happened if you remember, he was the first player rumored that St. Louis was interested in right. in MLS. So early. early early in last season, he was linked to St. Louis. And so you have to wonder, does, did that play a role in his his time with Austin and getting getting minutes and how they wanted to use him in the season? And if it did, then it really says nothing to Stroud about what his performance was with Austin because coming out this year, you could chalk Austin up to a revenge game of sorts, but the way he's been able to consistently play against Charlotte and against Portland, this guy's having as much of a resurgence as we've talked about John Nelson having uh, after, after coming off of, you know, the FC Dallas and Cincinnati years. Completely agree. Um, And and more even, you know, it's, it's, I'm excited to see how he develops and yeah, he was so good with Red Bull too. You know, when I was doing the USL stuff, Stroud was like one of the best Red Bull two players, if not the best for a little while, Uh, playmaking type pressing everything you're seeing here in St. Louis. So really cool to see him do that on the next level after, um, you know, not, you know, Austin didn't work out for him. So this is cool. Right. Um, We got a few more minutes. Anything you want to talk about or, or can we go on to that goal? The next. I mean, let's goal? let's spend some time on Kyle Hebert. We yeah, have to. He's been the it. star. Of the, he's been the star of the week, and it came across from a, a Leuven free kick of, of all things. I mean, that's that's one of those things that are becoming commonplace for St. Louis are Leuven free kicks. You know, he he came at it from the midfield. The cross was curled. It kind of went behind Tim Parker, who was trying to go toward. He's taking his body towards goal. He's taking his head towards the midfield to the ball. <laughs> drag a couple of Portland players with him, and Hebert was. If, if you saw the St. Louis 314 day video, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go search it out on, on St. Louis City's Twitter because <laughs> so the guy quoted Pi to the 80th digit. You could only you could almost see him doing the geometry of where the ball was going, where it would bounce in the box and come up for him to be able to head that for his first goal. It was it, it was incredible to have him do that. And, and we've talked so much about Kyle last year with City 2, coming out of Missouri State, undrafted, getting picked up by City 2, playing all but four minutes, going into City not supposed to be a starter, and then picking up and filling in, again, not missing a single minute so far this year for Joachim Nilsson. And this goal was just the exclamation point on everything it was matt that was such a good tie-in there with uh doing all the math and and (laughs) that was good stuff but it's true you know you got to take the right angles when you're a good defender and uh i love also love that hebert was mad that he only got 80 digits he's like man that's only half (laughs) he knew he could do more too that's really cool uh i think we're all just ecstatic for kyle and um yeah, what a great goal. And I just also want to say, too, that, you know, that was created, that uh, free kick was created by Klaus, 
who got fouled, but like, you know, you know, Portland's getting tired. They're sick of dealing with this big man up front running all over the place. They foul him instead of giving him space to run or pass and Leuven and Hebert are able to make them pay for that. So like beautiful, you know, it's really cool to, I'm sure it's nice as a striker to know if you go down in and around the box that you got Leuven there to finish things off for you, or at least give you a good chance. There were a couple teams in the USL where it's like, don't foul anyone around the box. It'd be really cool if, if we became one of those teams to be careful of. We're dangerous so far with Klaus making his runs, and we're even more dangerous with Leuven on the ball for those free kicks. So it's it's adding up to be that way. Absolutely. For those joining us, we are Flyover Footy. We are a St. Louis podcast that talks about soccer. Uh, you're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. We just previewed the Portland game that was the third victory for St. Louis. And in this middle section, we often go into stats and we talk about different news that's going on in the league. And I think this first one's a bit of a spicy one here that we're going to talk about news-wise. Um, it's a little news about our South African player, Jablo Blome. Uh, Matt, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we mentioned that in the Portland game, uh, Blom was out for health and safety protocol. Uh, we didn't get a whole lot of detail going into Portland. This this week, it starts to develop a little more. So uh, later in this week, uh, national teams started calling up players for some friendlies going on. And we were ecstatic to see that Jabulu Blom was called up to the South African national team. Um, when he was announced on the, their 23-man roster, Concurrently, there was an article that came out uh, with an interview from the South African national team coach with some some not too happy words for St. Louis. And there seems to be some kind of disconnect going on between uh, Blome's status, the specificity of his injury and how long it's going to take, and his ability to go represent South Africa when they play, I believe, Liberia in a couple matches um, here in the next couple of weeks. And so... So that all is kind of going on. And so there's some there's some drama kind of building on on those ends. There's uh, St. Louis City is not giving the most information publicly about the types of injury that that Blom is going through or what health and safety protocols mean. They're not bound Mm to MLS teams are typically rather secretive as far as the public goes on the specifics of some of the injuries unless you're chicharito on twitch who will just go out and say you're out for four or five weeks or something like that. But this is this is par for the course. And so what it means for St. Louis going forward is regardless of the South African national team call up, which their camp is scheduled to start on Sunday. He could have been available for St. Louis, but in the same same day that he was announced for the South African national team, Bradley Carnell confirmed that he would be out against the earthquakes on Saturday. So that's a blow for St. Louis, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. And Carnell said, you know, we're leaving him out we want him healthy for this national team call up. So, you know, it's, he's admitting that he's going and we're resting him to make sure he's healthy for it. But there is this question of, you know, is it COVID people are claiming different things. Um, All we can say as far as officially is that I have been able to talk to Manuel Vaith about it today. And he said, as of last weekend, um, you know, for the game in Portland, um, they did several tests, not one, several yeah. COVID tests and all were negative. Um, now, we don't know what happened after that. And you guys, we all know what COVID's like. So um, and we all yep. know what tests are like. So who knows what's going on? There are two different stories going on here and uh, it's one to follow, right? It's it's yeah. our first uh, national team drama. It won't be the last, but, you know, it, it, I saw someone posting some tears in their eyes for this uh, this beautiful moment we have here. 
Yeah, it's, it, we're, we've truly arrived when we're talking about this kind of this kind of a drama. But you know, you don't you don't expect anything else other than St. Louis to do every single thing possible to identify the cause of why players are not feeling well, to get them up to speed and up to match fitness as quickly as possible. You know, there's no doubt that they're doing everything possible to identify and remedy and get blown back into fitness. And and club teams typically work with national teams in these kind of scenarios. So knowing the importance of a national team call up. Um, there are times when some clubs will kind of prevent a player from going, but I, I really would doubt that if all things are equal, that Blom would be prevented from being released for national team duty. Completely agree. Um, I mean, it's good for us to have him go, yeah. you know, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's good news. It's good, uh, marketing, you know, to have your player, uh, be important to another country. Um, Absolutely. so yeah, we'd love to see him go. I'm sure the staff will all work that out and I'm not too worried. Um, one quick one. Other players came into question for international call-ups. Yeah, apparently our, Santiago was reporting that uh, there were some conversations and some discussions about other players being contacted for national team duty. So, you know, I've got a, you know, we, we know some history of youth national team call-ups from some of our players from, um, from larger national team call-ups. Uh, so I, I have kind of a list that I put together of who this might involve, you know, if we're trying to speculate who might have received or being contacted about national team call-ups um, from the U.S. national team. You know, this was not an MLS heavy roster that the U.S. put together, but I can imagine that when there is an MLS heavy roster, Nico Joachini or Indiana Vasilev could be in those kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. Both have had um, have had national team experience before. Uh, Joachini had some some good success with the national team a couple of years ago. And, and Vasilev as well, I think both of them are getting into some – good fitness and having results and producing on the field. So mm-hmm. both are candidates to me. Uh, the Czech Republic with Tomas Ostrak is an obvious one. I think his experience in their na- youth national team and his trajectory kind of leads him to be one of the top nominees. Um, Isak Jensen, not entirely healthy right now, so I can and not seeing a whole lot of minutes for City at all. He hasn't featured yet. So that's, uh, that's a reach for Denmark. Um, and then Joachim Nilsson, obviously, if he were healthy, mm-hmm. would be with Sweden. So I, I don't doubt that he's in contact with them, but until he recovers, he's completely out. And then my long shot is Edward Leuven mm-hmm. for Germany. So he featured uh, in Germany with their Olympic team a few years ago. So, you know, no prospects that i've really seen overtly but it wouldn't surprise me especially with his run of form if he's at least been contacted or thinking about it i wonder yeah yeah i wonder how deep uh, germany will reach because you know it's that's a stacked team but you know he's one especially i hope that we even if he doesn't get called up with us i hope we've you know resurged his career and he goes somewhere else and then forces a call up you know same with right. ostrek you know i hope he forces a call up with st louis and i think mls teams are good enough to send a national team player to uh, the czech republic but again if he gets sent off to europe then i think it's going to be automatic at that point um one more point yeah. I, if you don't mind matt that um in april there is going to be a national team u.s national team friendly against mexico and yep. the reason you're seeing no mls players i think there's maybe one on this nation's league call up is because that friendly will be very mls uh, heavy so yes. you know who knows if, if nico has gets a couple more goals before then maybe he'll get a call up who knows um i agree with you that indy will deserve one at some point so um fingers crossed i'd love to see our guys on the u.s national team 
Yep. Yep. Agreed. And I think, um, so, you know, that kind of pivots to the other big news of the week, which, uh, on the injury front and, uh, the, the player fitness is Tim Parker. So that was kind of a recent one that came up. And this week we found out that Parker left practice early on Wednesday. He didn't practice at all on Thursday and has been listed as day to day, essentially questionable for the match against the earthquakes. And, you know, we're airing on the big 550 KTRS as the pregame. So as this airs, there will likely be a little more clarity. Um, and in the middle of our episode, as this airs, the lineup should be released. So we'll see if Parker is able to crack that lineup. Carnell said they're giving him 48 hours to rest and recover. But he did mention that Josh Yarrow, Lucas Bartlett, and John Bell are all options to replace him if necessary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was looking for an answer. You know, who's the next man up? But, you know, yep. any one of those three, it sounds like he's not trying to tip his hand. Um Go ahead. No, but at the same time, we talked about how they seem to be valuing form. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the other thing that we didn't touch on were substitutions against Portland. And if you're looking to any kind of a hint on how subs or next man up might shake out, John Nelson was subbed out for Lucas Bartlett, mm-hmm. not Josh Yarrow, not Selmer Pedro, not John Bell. Bartlett saw time at the end of that match. And if you're looking to replace Tim Parker, like you made the perfect point on, with the size needed, mm. Bartlett would seem to fit the bill for next man up there as well. Yeah, and Obovisi, um we're going to get into San Jose, but Bartlett might make sense as far as um, crosses being sent into the box. But um, mm-hmm. I actually think that Bartlett, you know, when he came in, they went into a back five. And so, um, yeah, and that was cool to see him come in and just start saying back five, back five. But, um, you know, adding a tall guy, to close out a game makes all the sense in the world. Yes. So I do think that could just be a tactical situation, situational, um, you know, decision. But anyway, who knows? I mean, I mean, I think all three yeah. of those, I, I think we're not sure who it'll be because I think they're all so neck and neck that who knows? It'll be a hard decision probably for Bradley as well. Yep. Um, let's move on to more news. Um, some statistical news, Matt. Yeah. Right? As, as we turn and pivot towards looking at San Jose, I think let's take a quick uh, look at where some of the St. Louis players are uh, on the on the stat sheet going into San Jose. So Edward Leuven currently leads the league in assists with three, and he has had uh, some consistency throughout the first three matches. Uh, Rowan Berkey, from a goalkeeper perspective, is fourth in the league in long passes with 26. And you can see his distribution both with his leg and with his arm. Uh, some of those long passes with his arms and the the pinpoint accuracy had a lot of comparisons to the Cardinals being thrown around there on mm-hmm. social media, which was hilarious. Very to see. nice. Uh, St. Louis leads the league in goals with eight, and we've scored all of our goals inside the 18 yard box so far. Mm-hmm. We we have definitely uh, threatened from outside the 18, but all eight of our goals have come inside the 18. And we have five players who've played all 270 minutes so far. Berkey, one of them. Jake Nerwinski, Tim Parker, Kyle Hebert, and Edward Leuven. Klaus and John Nelson have played all but four minutes each. So they were both subbed at the end of a couple of matches. Klaus against Austin and then Nelson against Portland. Uh, Klaus and Leuven both lead the team in shots and shots on target. Tackles and interceptions, which are huge for our defense and kind of the way that we're able to disrupt a lot of the other teams. Tackles, John Nelson has eight tackles on the year, and he's tied for second in the league. Wow, nice. Edward Leuven right behind him with seven. And then 
because he's all over the field, right? He, well, yeah, he's got attacking and defending stats. That's awesome. <laughs> he's making a case for uh, a lot of a lot of notoriety here. That's I'll just cool. say that. And then finally, interceptions. So um, the ability to disrupt those passing sequences. Tim Parker leads the team with eight, and he's tied for sixth in the league. Which, if he's out, kind of is a even bigger hole to fill than mm. just his leadership presence. Yeah, really good stuff there, Matt. I love it. Um, you know, two stick out to me. Norwinsky playing all of those minutes. Um, you know, that's just scary because he's a fullback. I just think of fullbacks as runners. And so um, that's something... Especially in our style, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that is something that Manuel mentioned that for depth, it might be something the city's looking to get more depth at the right back position when the summer window comes. Um, but, you know, shots outside the box, you know, Akil Watts just got his first minute, so just give him some time, Matt, and he'll get there. He'll get in there, and he'll get a, a, a shot from distance that goes in. As, as we know from City 2, all he needs to be is on the field, <laughs> and he'll find a way to score that goal from outside the 18. Yeah, um, and we'll get into that, I think, in the in the, in the the post-game show. So let's, uh, let's move on, though. You're listening to Flyover Footy. We are a St. Louis soccer podcast, and we are broadcasting on the big 550 KTRS. Hope you're enjoying it so far. We're going to preview the San Jose Earthquakes now for you uh this is our fourth game of the season we're three you know matt can we make it four and oh what do you think well we've got a lot of eyes on us that's for sure we're, we're seeing a lot of uh pivots in expectations for city nationally and we're seeing a lot more excitement locally as far as the on the field product goes uh, if you're a fan of power rankings st louis has steadily climbed every single week uh to reach number six i believe in the mls power ranking so far wow. uh with the only team in the league to be 3-0, and uh, sitting alone atop the table. And if we win against San Jose, we will become the only expansion team to ever start 4-0. and So that in and of itself, you know, we, we talked last week about a lot of the pressures being off, a lot of the first game jitters against Austin, a lot of the first uh, home game stadium opening jitters against Charlotte are off. We're creating our own jitters now. So our, mm -hmm. our club is, and I, I use that facetiously because our club is clearly showing their ability to handle any kind of pressure. But this kind of focus is so uncommon for an expansion side. Usually you're able to just kind of play and figure out your your system and your style and your identity and go under the radar. People are just, you're, you're viewed as it's nice to have you here in the league. And we're just going to let you do your own thing off to the side while while the experienced teams kind of fight for uh, fight for the top of the table. And we've disrupted that entire mindset. And, and so going into San Jose against the team that they are, I think we are able to control our own destiny, even if we're playing in one of the coldest matches that we will hopefully ever play at City Park. Yeah, people are confused. Uh, Tom Timmerman posted something about people calling it the uh, the Bayer Leverkusen, you know. Effect. It's Leverkusen cold. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, it won't be fun, um, and it's good for to pull San Jose into that environment, right? Uh, not to mention the fans. Um, the um, I, I I think I saw a stat. It was uh, what, the fan van account on on Twitter. I think they said that this it's only been this cold in San Jose one time in the past. <laughs> like 15 years or something like that. And so I asked a cheeky question of they didn't play soccer on that one day and win, did they? In fact, <laughs> no, no, they did not. So Good. this, this is, um, St. Louis has some experience in this and obviously we're able to train in this weather. It's been, uh, they, they've, it's been cold here a lot of their training days. So our players are used to it a lot more than San Jose 
from the training field and from a match perspective, a lot of these guys did play against Leverkusen. They know what Leverkusen cold is. And so they're able to mm-hmm. kind of work through that. That has to be viewed as an advantage for us, honestly. So the the weather in and of itself, you know, the, both teams are used to used to grass fields, so that's no different. But our ability to train in this cold weather and and see some regularity with it and and know how to handle it from a, a body temperature perspective, to know when and how to push yourself and what you need to do to get ready and get up for that, that to me is yet another um, notch in our belt going into this. Yeah, and we're going to talk about what the Quakes are like and what they've been doing this season. But if you want to just talk about the vibe going in, the Quakes are not the best team, you know, as far as what people expect. They were not expected to be a good team this year, and they weren't an incredible team last year. Um, A lot of changeover. But, you know, what we've seen with Austin is they weren't what we expected either. Um, So, Matt, do you want to talk about what we might be seeing from the Quakes? Yeah, it, and it's interesting for the Quakes, too. They come into this match um, with a 2-1 and one record, having lost to Austin in their – I'm sorry, lost to Atlanta in their one away game. But they've beaten both Vancouver and Colorado both at home. Now, looking at the form of those three teams, Atlanta is uh, near top of the table. They have seven points. Vancouver and Colorado only have one point each this year. So Mm. looking at their record, to me, is a bit of a misnomer in how you can judge the Quakes' performance. Um, They're they're A, not at home, and B, not playing top-tier talent in the league when they they have those two wins. Now, wins are wins in MLS, so where you stand at the table, that, that is what it is. But if you're looking at the quality of your opponent, two and one, it doesn't tell the whole story to me, but more so than that, um, they, the quakes have a new manager, Lucci Gonzalez. He's a former FC Dallas coach, and he spent the last couple of years with the U S men's national team as an assistant in their world cup cycle. So he he's new with the quakes. He's kind of implementing his style of play. And what is that style of play is the most interesting thing to me, because so far this year, there's a there's a table that I'm looking at that is a style comparison from uh, the website the analyst and and that article I referenced earlier from Opta analyst and it lists in quadrants kind of looking at the direct speed upfield that you play with along with the passes per sequence St. Louis City is top three in the direct passing up the field with the fewest number of passes per sequence so we quickly move the ball up the field that example of the uh, Vasilev to Nerwinski to Alm to Stroud pass earlier those quick movements on the far opposite end of that spectrum, the slow and intricate, as they call it, where you have a high number of passes uh, per sequence, you have a low direct speed upfield sits the San Jose earthquakes Hmm. in the same kind of area as, uh, as an Austin. So they're, they're similar in the way that they play that, where they're, they're going to possess the ball. They're going to play horizontally. They're going to try to build up, uh, through their, their short passes. And, when you're looking at how that juxtaposed with St. Louis polar opposites here. So it, it kind of is, if you play your game as well as you should, then your style may win out. And that's what I'll be most interested to watch is can Lucci ball for San Jose really shine through? And are they able to um, beat St. Louis's high press with these short, quick passes all around the field? Yeah. And, and you think about the one time we were gotten in city Two. It was that North Texas game. I mention it all the time, right? That was a North Texas team that was able to pass through our press. And one thing I will say in watching the Quakes play play Colorado is Colorado early in the game was pressing 
decently hard, like harder than most teams, especially in the yep. Western Conference that we've seen. And San Jose would back themselves into a, a freaking corner. You know what I mean? And and they'd still pass a couple more passes. One time it hurt them. They weren't, you know, they got caught. And I think our press is a lot more rabid than Colorado's. So I do think we can get them in that regard. But San Jose was comfortable passing out. They were calm and collected. It wasn't super effective. Um but it wasn't bad, you know what I mean? So that is, right. we'll see. Like you said, these two styles are going to go up against each other, and whoever's better at it I think is going to win the day. Um, but I wasn't extremely, you know, North Texas was super impressive in that game that I mentioned against City 2. I was not super impressed with San Jose, but it's hard to tell when they're playing a different team. Yeah, and, and San Jose, they, they haven't had any exciting matches to me, and they they have given a lot of shots and a lot of shots on goal, so that'll be interesting to follow. Their their average shots per game are fourteen point three, which are actually higher than St. Louis. Um, though their shots on goal, we St. Louis averages more. The possession numbers are going to be about what we expect. So San Jose is going to possess the ball upwards of sixty percent. St. Louis is probably going to be down around the forties again, and I think it it will be those shots to see if San Jose can actually move the ball around and through our midfielders, especially mm. to create some chances for some of their, some of their better players. And they do have a handful of really high quality players. They have three designated players on their roster. They have some league leaders in certain categories. And I think if they can get those players involved, that's where they're really going to be able to shine and put their system into play better when their stars can do what they do. And in that match against Colorado, it was really Christian Espinoza yeah. that uh, he ha almost had a world a worldly goal mm -hmm. from, I don't know, had to have been like 30 yards out that Maybe hit the crossbar. 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was an insane shot. So they're dangerous from distance right there too. So yeah. you can't, you can't give them the kind of space that Colorado was. I wouldn't expect St. Louis to give them that kind of space, but I also, I want to see St. Louis be successful in disrupting a lot of these short passes. If they're able to not necessarily cause the back passes that we've seen a couple times, but if they're just able to disrupt the midfield passing that goes on between um, a Rodriguez at center back or that Christian Espinoza, Jackson Ewell, especially Jackson Ewell to me. Hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're not familiar with San Jose, Jackson Ewell has some U S men's national team experience. He's their number 14 on the field. He leads the league with 210 passes attempted and 186 short passes. And he's third in the league with 114 passes in the opposition half. Yeah. So he's the one who is really connecting all their players. If we can disrupt and more or less neutralize Jackson Ewell, we're going to have a really good chance. Yeah, I, I, man, I, I, everything you just said are several talking points that I had. Um, you know, I echo your Espinoza seems like the best player on the field. Uh, I thought he was incredible, not just in that that worldy moment. He was good all around. I guess he's third in their all-time assists uh, leader for the for the club. So watch number 10 on the field as usual. Yep. Uh, Espinoza will be very good. One of their designated players. There you go, exactly. Um, but Abobasi is a quality player. He even dropped yep. in and was able to dribble at people and send some good passes in. He's a dangerous player who knows how to finish. And Kay Cowell, the man with the long hair and the mustache, the really weird. Even my three-year-old said, what is that mustache? Like my <laughs> three-year-old noticed the crazy mustache. So it'll be easy to pick out on the field, just a speedy left winger. But he's, man, he's been getting quality with the, the passes and, and just the gamesmanship he's able to, to pull out in a game. So 
these are definitely quality players that can really shine in, in quality moments um, if if they get the right right thing. And then once yeah. that first goal is scored, despite how we're able to come back every time, you never know how a team's going to be able to, to uh, defend out the day. Yeah, and, and when it comes to our attack going forward, and we like to get, like I mentioned, all of our goals, all eight of our goals have been inside the 18-yard box. Mm. Um, you know, that just puts pressure on their center backs to see how, how they can put pressure on our attacking players and uh, how well we can work the ball in and around the box to create those opportunities. But Rodriguez, their center back, number 26, uh, I talked about how well Tim Parker was in, a, in interceptions. Rodriguez leads is second in the league with 10 mm. interceptions. So he's a guy who's doing the Tim Parker job that we've seen for us for the earthquakes. So if we can if we can figure out a way around him or prevent him from disrupting our passing network, we're going to have that continued success inside the box. Yeah, and and they're kind of multiple too. You know, they don't press high necessarily, but they will pick their moments. Um, you know, they don't sit back necessarily, but they do defend well. You know, some of those stats you just mentioned, Matt, um, I think is I think that's part of why they're able to to get going. And um, you know, people are worried about this team, but they're young. Uh, that's why they brought in Luchi Gonzalez. He's a Texas guy that started in their academy. And when he got promoted at, at Dallas from the academy, it was because they're a, a club that has lots of young players coming up. Yep. And so um, that's something that San Jose wants to focus on and become a better team in the future. But um, we're all on a salary cap. You know, they're spending about the same money as us, even if they're not viewed as one of the better teams in the league. So the talent's there. You just you still got to be careful and we can't get uh, cocky because we think they don't look especially spicy against Colorado, which we were talking about pregame. You know, it is easy to look at them and be like, well, they don't have an identity. They aren't like us. We know what we're doing. We're focused. We're winning every game. Um, No one's getting too excited yet. Right. Yeah, and, and you're so we're in we're three games in. You're starting to get to the point where even if a team didn't start the season with an identity, they're starting to form one now. Mm-hmm. They've been in. They had camp for a month or two. They've had a month of of match matches now, and you're seeing a player like Carlos Grueso, one of the other guys. He's another designated player for them. And Phil, you talked about the uh, the the salary cap, and they're not overspending on players. Well, Grueso is there. He he wears number seven for him. He's a designated player. They got him from FC Augsburg for their club record $3 million signing. Mm. And so that's not too far beyond what we paid for an Edward Leuven to make him our designated player. Right. So and from so a similar look- club profile. Yes. As well. And he is their defensive midfielder. So he's that kind of guy mm. who tries to link up their back line to their their front line. So the, and and Luchi Gonzalez has really called him out as integral to the success that they've had in connecting the play uh, from their back to their front. And he's going to be a guy to watch out for, number seven, Grueso. Fun fact, that allocation order um, nonsense that MLS did away with, one Mm. of their archaic rules that St. Louis City uh, could have taken advantage of, Grueso was the player picked by San Jose uh, when they did away with that. (laughs) He he was the guy that we had those conversations on our podcast about, is San Jose going to trade with St. Louis? And Grueso was the player they took the beginning of the year in that. Okay. Well, that's a fun one. Good one, Matt. Um, anything else? We got about two, three minutes. Anything else you want to mention before we go? Let's just get to some predictions. Yeah. So, uh, so, so before the match, I think uh, for me, starting eleven, I think we're going to stick in the four-two-three-one. I've got Nelson, Hebert, Bartlett, and Nerwinski. I think we're going to do Bartlett. Mm-hmm. And I think Edward Leuven and Andy Vasilev are going to be in that midfield in this match. 
with uh, Stroud, Ostrock, Alm, and Klaus. So a lot of familiar names for me. Yeah. What do you think? No, I think I'm going to differ from you. I I would like to see us go back to the 4-2-2-2 um, mm-hmm. against them because I do think we can – I mean – Nico is so good in the press and I think yes. we can get these guys and they try if they try to possess the ball. So yeah, I'd oh, love I... to see Joe Keeney out there with Klaus. Um, I think I would like to see Ostrak and Stroud this time. Just more attacking. Alm, I want Alm in there when we want to defend. Um, mm-hmm. He's such a good away player. He's like what I view as like the perfect away winger. <laughs> um, and then boy, I guess yeah, I guess we'd see Leuven. And who do we think would start next to him? Maybe Indy. I think Indy, Indy or Perez. Yeah, I think they'll start Indy. Honestly, Leuven doesn't matter if he starts in the defensive midfield or not from a, a sheet perspective. Mm-hmm. He'll find his way up front. And I would love if Nico Giochini found his way in the starting lineup. I, I would be happy to be wrong about that in this case. Yeah, totally. And then I agree with you. I, you know, I think it'll be the same back line except Bartlett if Parker's not mm-hmm. going to be in. I'm hoping Parker like makes a, a miraculous recovery. Yeah. No but kidding. yeah, I agree with you. I think Bartlett will be it. I'll, I would have said Bell, except mm-hmm. I just, if he hasn't been fully back physically, that's, that's all I think we'd be worried about. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. And then score predictions real quick. Um, yeah, I see, you know, I'm going to agree. Ashley Tecker messaged us on, uh, on YouTube, two zero city first clean sheet. I want to see a, a clean sheet pretty badly. Yeah, I'm seeing Ryan had the three two STL. I think I'm gonna go three nothing. I think I think the clean sheet comes through. Um, I'm I'm trying not to be too optimistic because I, I don't want to get my hopes up and have them dashed. But <laughs> I just see a lot of positives going into this, even with the cold weather. Yeah, well, and you've been right every time so far, haven't you? Don't put that pressure on me. I already mentioned the the three three podcasts we've had on the radio, the three and zero start. I can't can't deal with that too. I'm deflecting. See, I'm putting all the pressure on you. This is perfect. Good man. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our prediction. This is all the information we have to give you guys for game day. Um, if you didn't know, so we have the details now. We are going to be airing. We start an hour and a half before the game every single week. So if it's on the West Coast, we'll be starting later. So always you can tune into us an hour and a half before the game. This week it's a home game, so you could be driving to the stadium right now and listening to us. You could be about to get out of your car and walk a couple blocks and give your ticket and go watch this game. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to us. If so, um, either way, really. And I hope you enjoy the game. I hope you feel prepared for game day. We are Flyover Footy, and we're broadcasting on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you all for listening. We'll be talking to you next week. Have fun and go City. back it's flyover footy this is the wind down i think we've officially decided to call it that uh, we've finished our stream for the big 550 ktrs no we just get to hang out and talk matt you just popped another beer and i gotta learn from you i gotta have another <laughs> beer ready to go i always try to try to hold it for this time this is a i like the wind down a little bit more casual a little less pressure yeah just a little more chatty and man do we have some things to really chat about with this one well, let's start with a question because I don't even have anything. I think we got plenty of time this time. Ryan Hickerson asks, how long do we estimate Indy to keep his mask on? It's a good question.
Well, he definitely starts it with the mask. I think he's going to uh, placate the training staff for that one again. You know, And, and he did go – I wasn't joking when I said he went 12 minutes uh, with the mask. There was – if you remember with Portland, that's when Evander came in. It was around the eight- or nine-minute mark. There was the injury, uh, and it looked like a pretty bad leg injury. He had to be carted off the field. Yeah. I can't remember the player, but it was, it was bad. And the camera panned to him, and they panned away from our team for a significant amount of time. And when Indy was shown on the screen next, he was without his mask. So sometime <laughs> in, that, uh, in that downtime, he tossed it, and it just never made its appearance again. Indy cracks me up, man. I mean, it's not Those pictures this week, right? The, on the app, there's there's pictures of him in training, and him in that mask with the beard <laughs> is menacing. It's a lot, yeah. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> but no, I think I think um, I think he goes ten to fifteen minutes again. I basically think he'll look for the first opportunity to toss it because it, I I predict him to start, and I really think it's one of those cheeky things of he knows he has to start with the mask but they're not going to like force it back on him when he tosses it off. <laughs> I picture him just like if he gets too much to, time to think about it or worry about it, that's when he throws it off. Where, like if yeah, he can run be... and run and run and play, he's good. But the second he has to think about it too much, it's over. <laughs> that's fair. And and if, if it's like the one he was wearing uh, last week that he said it obstructs his field of vision a little bit, mm. can totally understand not wanting to have that during a match. If, and assuming the pain threshold isn't too severe with that broken nose, you know, yeah. I don't blame him. My goodness, yeah. You know, when you start running, things get numb. You forget about, you know, problems. Well, it's And the cold weather now, right? I mean, his true. face is going to be numb anyway. Yeah, especially the nose. It's true. Um, cool. Um, do you want? What else do you want to... Is there anything you want to hit before... I want to talk about Firmino maybe later, unless you want to talk about that now. I was going to say, do you want to circle back to Blome for a minute? Yeah, let's do that. So... So we talked about the the basics of it all. Blom having been out last week from a health and safety protocol, which we knew about middle of last week. You know, we heard about that around this time last week um, on that Thursday or Friday. And assuming health and as you do with health and safety protocols, that it has to do with COVID. I don't think that's a leap in today's mm. world. That if you hear somebody's in health and safety protocol, it's the assumption. You know, whether or not they say it in any sport nowadays. So. If that's the case or whatever uh, it ends up being, those kinds of things tend to linger a little bit. You know, as anybody who's had COVID or known somebody who's had COVID, that thing lingers for a period of time where you're still testing positive. Maybe you're still having some symptoms. That appears to be the case, whatever it is, because he's still listed in health and safety. He's out for this weekend. Um, but the the really interesting thing is that article from um, Hugo Bruce, the manager for the South African national team where he says um, some really interesting things about St. Louis City not providing a detailed explanation about what's going on mm -hmm. with Loam. And I do want to caution that this is, everything I'm about to read is from the the article in uh, SABC Sport, and it's from his side. So anything I say that is, is not necessarily indicative of um, what City's doing or City's perspective, but he does say, first of all, um, you know, we see how things are going in the next hours, but Jabulu played the first two games in St. Louis and the last game he didn't play. So they immediately contacted the club to see what was happening in the club. And there's some translation issues here, but it says the club said, oh, it's not so hard. He's sick. OK, he's sick. But um, they're like, what is he sick with? So they apparently contacted Blom and Blom, according to the South African national team coach, said, yeah, I don't feel so good. I think I have COVID. Mm -hmm. And that's in the article. So the manager said, okay, but do a test and then we'll see if you have COVID. Test it. 
So today it's Thursday, and we've been speaking since Tuesday already. Yesterday we got a mail from St. Louis at 5 p.m. that the coaching and medical staff were discussing the situation. So the article goes on to say now we're 20 hours later and we haven't had an answer until now. And this article came out today, by the way, Thursday that we're reporting this. Am I nervous? No, I'm angry. This is not correct. You tell us, oh, this is the problem. He has COVID. Okay, we have to change. But when the situation is not clear, you start thinking about things that are maybe not there. And then he goes on to speculate that I saw in America, there's a league game next week, the 26th of March, they play. So then he starts to speculate of uh, if he doesn't come with a correct reason, he will not play with them because then we'll go to FIFA. I'm very angry about that, really. There's a lot of uh, chest puffing going on in this article, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, it worries me a little bit to hear a national team coach say that he's angry. I mean, he's elevating things purposefully and you don't see that i don't think you see that a lot in in international soccer especially in coaches yeah and i I mentioned earlier that it's not uncommon for a club to uh protect a player or kind of prevent them from being released if there's an injury concern or Hmm. um so so you know if if it's really if it's really covid or if it's really kind of like a sickness that they're concerned about then it, it to me it's not outside the realm of possibility that they wouldn't want him to go if it would mean endangering his health or mm-hmm. sending him to travel when he has been, his immune system's been compromised something like that so you know you can see that perspective but they're they're coming at it from the point where the South African national team coach uh, Bruce kind of makes it sound like there's no reason for him not to be released and if he's not released they're going to file a complaint with FIFA fair which enough is, it's it's harsh to read that. I mean, that's a that's a far, you know, going really really far in one direction about this whole scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's just get the conspiracy theories out there because I think people will be saying this anyway. Is you know, one conspiracy might be that St. Louis um, wants to keep him and they don't want to send him, so now he does have COVID, or suddenly he tests positive and they don't have to send him. Um, I think maybe the South African coach is upset because he thinks maybe there's some funny business going on if the communication hasn't been as um, exact or as as strong as he would like. Um, And another conspiracy theory might even be that... um, MLS doesn't want if he has maybe he has COVID and MLS doesn't want another bubble situation. You know what I mean? Like they're scared to death to let anyone know that that there's COVID in the league or um, perhaps even St. Louis doesn't want him out for multiple weeks just because the name COVID is on there and they force some kind of protocol on us. There's so much stuff out there. It could be once you start thinking about COVID and international breaks, like a lot of funny business goes on all around and all of those things. So. Yeah, and I, I can see that perspective of you 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 know you're somewhat um, hesitant to really give the full extent on a lot of injuries and timelines and things like that. So if a player, whether or not they test positive for COVID, just health and safety protocols, it's a safe term to use. And like yeah. I said earlier, it's really not too far of a stretch to just assume that means COVID. And right. and it's you know in the world we live in, we live with COVID now. It's an end. It's endemic. It's not a pandemic anymore. It's just mm-hmm. a part of society, and that's where we've just gotten uh, in the past few years, three years later, this is where we are. And so I don't know if I really so much buy into the MLS's concern about going back into a bubble, but I do buy into the fact that they don't want to publicize it nearly as much. And so you still don't want to have COVID outbreaks occur. You don't want to have that be a headline to a league or their team. So Maybe there's a, a component of let's just call it health and safety. Let's work through it on the back channels. But the thing that gets me is the piece in the article where they go to 
Bruce apparently didn't get a direct answer one way or another. And yeah, maybe it's City or MLS not wanting to really tip their cap too much if it, if it truly is that or if it's not. But then to go the, – the quote of uh, Bruce going to Blome and Blome apparently saying, yeah, I don't feel so good. I think I have COVID. That to mm-hmm. me is bizarre where you'd have that – the way that these conversations are occurring and, and who's saying what and different stories – COVID or not, it's a bizarre circumstance to be in for City. Yeah, and when in doubt, I just like to downplay it. You know, I like to assume the best in everybody. So um, I assume it's going to go. I assume there's no COVID. Like I said, Manuel said the last time he heard that there were tests last weekend that it was negative multiple times. So I think he's going to go and just maybe the the communication got messed up. That sounds very human to me personally. Well, and I I can't remember if we said it on the KTRS or on the pre-show, but, you know, the he mentions we're now 20 hours later and yeah, there's a time difference here going on. Yeah. So that could mean an overnight period. So there, there's some, you know, there, there are a lot of factors going on here about, you know, when somebody was able to reach somebody else and how translations were and making sure that, um, it, whether or not it was Bradley Carnell speaking directly or whether it was a member of the staff or, uh, PR or something like that, who knows, you know, mm-hmm. this is, a this is kind of like a bare bones article from a details perspective. It's hard to fit puzzle pieces together except for that one side of the story, which how often is one side of a story in this type of a situation ever entirely accurate? Mm-hmm. Almost never. Yeah. So there's, there's no doubt that there's some components of truth here. There's a side that city has, but if city's uh, known for one thing, it is carefully crafting uh, the narrative and the story and what they what they put out there and it's never too much it's never it, they never pull a Matt Baker and get too wordy about things I'll tell you that <laughs> um, what about Parker what is Parker's injury I don't think I remember that one I have we haven't seen what the actual Parker injury is okay we just knew that he was um, pulled out of practice yesterday and kept out today on Thursday so that makes it sound like it's just a physical muscular yeah injury. and the uh, the quote from Carnell is that from today on Thursday again, um, they're going to give him 48 hours to rest and recover. Hmm. So it it could be um, a muscle thing, but it could also be an an illness, I suppose. Like I don't want to spec. I really don't want to speculate too far on that because that's there's no point in that. But saying that they're giving him 48 hours to rest and recover is um, all we have to go off of right now. Fair enough. Um, let's talk about, you know, we didn't get to talk much about Lucas Bartlett. One thing I wanted to say very quickly was that when Bartlett came on, you know, like I said, he said back five, uh, but Nelson had come off and I assumed Akil Watts was going to scoot over to left back. Um, but he yeah. didn't, he stayed in the middle and it was, um, Celia Pompeo playing kind of a left wing back. Uh, he was able to go forward still, but Norwinsky was kind of staying home a little more, which in our in a back five, we've seen exactly that sort of thing play out in City too. So I just thought that was fun and interesting. And Celio from uh, reports saw some time in a fullback, wingback type of a role during the preseason. It's definitely not his primary position, but for uh, you know, as a sub, you're going to find yourself where you need to on the field and where the team needs you to be. So he is a um, well-versed on the left side, as, as he showed with City 2. That's where he started before the MLS players arrived. Mm-hmm. It's where he had a lot of his success in creating chances. If you remember last year, Celio was 
in near the top of MLS Next Pro in chances created, mostly from the left side. When um, when Ostrock came, it, he ended up going over to the right quite a bit. And so in preseason and in this match, I think it showed that he has an ability to play in that wingback role for us. Because like you said, we moved into a five-man back line at the end of that match. And, and that kind of almost bridges a gap, right? It plays a similar position. Um, but that, that flexibility that Celio provides, and we've seen him come in at the end of a couple games now, uh, really just speaks to him as well as guys like Akil Watts in your ability to play a fullback uh, defensive midfield position and just give us a lot of that flexibility when you need to shift your formations at the end of a game. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and you know, just you know, Celio posted his own highlights um on twitter yeah. today which i found funny um he's not the first, you know people do it all the time um uh, but you know he, he looks surprisingly comfortable and still effective almost equally effective as when he played for city too which yeah. i wasn't expecting him along with akil watts and some of these other city two players um you know kyle hebert is is the obvious example but mm. even josh yarrow when he's been on the field have really shown that what we saw from their success with city two wasn't just being able to compete against third division pro players and development players it was that there's their top of their league in that league able to make the transition to be role players and rotation players in MLS and you know more power to him for that I, yeah. I think it's an awesome opportunity and I'd love to see that be a continuous pipeline the city two is able to provide not just giving homegrowns a spot to develop giving MLS rostered players some time to play but whatever types of player we end up pulling in from an undrafted position or from the USL or League One or something like that that they haven't gotten their opportunity yet you know they can shine for a year and then they'll get offered a contract that's a cool pathway to me and it's amazing and, and celio could be a diamond in the rough if he's able to kind of become this super sub option and be effective mm -hmm. many of his passes very well could have been assists like one was yes. shot you know above you know all shot it high but if he was on target i mean the ball was there to be taken the goal was there to be taken um and what was i going to say about that that um uh oh it reminds me of philadelphia union who had, when they got rid of Paxton Aronson, they mm. went and picked up, I think his name's Torres. I forgot where they got him, but the dude is just like a dribbly freak. He's the one that had yeah. that Rondo in the midfield. Oh, yeah. Um, in that first week of the of the of the MLS. So anyway, like Celio's that skill set. It, it just works in certain situations. So I'm excited to see how they use him this year. Yeah, and I think, um, so in the chat, Carver asked, what does our backline look like if Parker's unavailable? Mm -hmm. And we talked about the assumption that it would just be a four-man backline and we'd plug and play one of uh, Bartlett, Bell, or Yarrow. Do you think there's any chance that they go to a five-man back or a three-center back look um, and try to get, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of um, struggling for depth right now with center back, so I don't think that's as likely. But, you know, it was, it was interesting that we used that to almost park the bus, so to speak, mm -hmm. at the end of the Portland match. Um, I do see it. I, do, I think I do see it more more likely that either um, one of those players just is plug and play though, on a four man back line. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. But, you know, I think if, if we ever try a five man back line, it'll be if like Leuven's out or something. I can see a five man back line when Nielsen comes back. 
Yeah. Right. So if you have Hebert, like right now, everybody's mm. talking about what's going to happen with Hebert. He's playing out of his mind right now, yeah. and he's getting national um, national coverage for his performances. He had a, a team of the week uh, performance for MLS. So if you have him in form as he is now, when Nilsson comes back, besides the fact that in Enable City, like you said to you, you said in our group chat earlier that he doesn't have to be rushed back now. Hmm. Um, it, it gives that kind of ease if Hebert's in form, but once. Nilsson comes back, a Nilsson, Parker, Hebert, three-man back line, and then whether you keep Nelson and Nerwinski or however those wing backs look, maybe you can maybe you could plug some other attacking players in those roles. That's an interesting notion down the line, but it's an interesting notion. Yeah. And I was thinking initially, you know, not having Blom to cut off the counter, I thought that was going to be more damning than it was and, and like not having blown it yeah. wasn't as scary as i thought it was going to be especially against portland but who i'm interested in is like uh, minnesota's style of play seemed to kind of have our number it always was effective effective even if we were able to win the game or, or draw i think was the best we did against them but um so like i'm curious like if blown isn't able to play when we play minnesota which i think is coming up in two weeks yeah two minnesota though Minnesota is an interesting Minnesota United is very interesting because of Reynoso's absence right now. I don't think they 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 haven't been able to replace him first of all, and they, all indications are there's no timetable if he does return to the team. Hmm. Um, very little information, but I think without a player like him and with uh, Minnesota United too, it was Azil Jackson That's what kind I mean. of able yeah. to create. Same, so those with those without role. those types of players, yes, yeah. So without that type of a role on their first team, I don't see them causing as much trouble. Um, but you're right that that style of an offense really uh, prevented us from making a lot of forward progress and it put us on our heels in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, and that's if, the, if they're able. Sorry, yeah. that's what I mean. Exactly. I, I, I'm cutting you off because that's exactly what I mean is that like without <laughs> Blom, we might not get caught on a counter and it might not hurt to have three center backs just always back there. And sometimes that hurts you by always losing that extra man going forward. But, you know, yeah. having three guys back all the time, we don't have to worry about someone like Andy Vasilev tracking back. Um, if if we don't have Leuven, that might be something extremely worrisome. Miggy, we don't want to have to trust him to be the last man back in a certain situation. So I don't know. That's the only time I could see it. I think otherwise we don't see it is what I'm getting at. Yeah, but at the same time, the way that this team had performed without Blome against Portland, and, and Portland was not in their um, – they, they didn't really give it as much of an attack as we were expecting. So there wasn't as much pressure, I think, on. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it, it kind of aligns with, with the conversation of the earthquakes, though, because the earthquakes are going to be similar in that they're not going to have that verticality to it. They're going to try to pass the ball around, break us down, work the ball over, bide their time. The way that Indy Vasilev and Miguel Perez performed against Portland was a little eye-opening to me because mm. I – First of all, I was expecting that if you have that, you're going to put Indy up front and Leuven is going to be that number Same. eight. Type that of was player. such a shock. Yeah. And to have Indy succeed in that role has been fantastic to see because he, he we knew coming into this season that he'd been given time doing that number six role in preseason and out of necessity because Blom wasn't here. He wasn't yet. Uh, in form mm. and we're seeing uh we're seeing that payoff in spades to me prepping him for this position and and allowing him to be comfortable when we need it we weren't expecting to go without Blom so early but now that we're here all that work is paying off and seeing him able to be that pivot against portland was 
I, I think that's that will serve us well. And one of the reasons I have Indy starting in our defensive midfield against uh, the Earthquakes. Yeah. And I said we don't want Miggy being that last guy tracking back, but actually I'd say that might be the best thing he did against Portland, so I think I'm wrong. The, 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 more, the more back, the deeper he stays, I think the better off we are because um, you know he, he does have some attacking prowess yeah. on his own in when he's played for the Academy in City 2. So it's yeah. not like that isn't there and he's not a danger there. But he, he was acting more like uh, an early 20s player than he was a 17-year-old, being able to take take some of these players on, uh, really press towards a player and close some gaps. I, I would like to see more of him in that role where he's kind of plugging the the gap between our center backs or between our center backs and our fullbacks, kind of like Blome was, where he's a lot deeper. He's almost like that single pivot in some instances uh, on the defensive side. Yeah, Colonel last week just said that Miguel is like a 40-year-old man in the way that he is able to, you know, be reliable on the ball. He doesn't lose it. It's He's right. No. Um, here's another one from Ryan Hickerson who said, so he's like three, he's never, he hasn't gotten any of his uh, predictions wrong yet. He's 3-0 as well. So he's mm-hmm. predicting, he makes a great point, and I'm, I'm starting to regret my 2-0. to zero. His prediction is three to two because he's concerned about plugging someone like Bartlett and Hebert in in the back. It's a really good point. It'd be weird if we, our clean sheet came with those two in the back, wouldn't it? I was going to say, can we have different different prediction scenarios? Um, and so I'll, I'll wait to put lock in my app score until I see if Parker's exactly. playing. Yeah. But yeah, it's not. I mean, that's not a bad thought if uh, Parker isn't able to go. Um, the thought that we might allow a few more goals. The one thing I'll say though is we're most vulnerable on uh, free kicks and corner kicks and the height advantage that Bartlett gives us. If mm-hmm. he's able to correctly space himself and mark the player that he needs to, for instance, like if it, if it ends up being um, a Bobasi or Espinoza or, you know, one of those players, I think we'll have just as likely of a success with Bartlett in that role, defending those set pieces as we do with Parker. Um I guess it's more the run of play if he's able to head some of those balls out of the box mm-hmm. or or be that um, – because Parker with his interceptions, like that's not a fluke. Like the way he's no. able to position himself yeah. and cut off some of those passes in the box is remarkable. The man that's is a like, genius about seeing the play ahead of time and stepping I mean, to the point where I was scared multiple times that he stepped too soon. <laughs> right? And, and the way he's been able to position his head in those spots – I think Parker in the park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think if that's going to be our biggest thing that we miss by having um, whoever replaces him, but without Parker. So that in the run of play, um, able to position your center back to cut off those passes. That'll be the thing to watch. Cool. Let's get a couple more topics in Matt. You want to choose the next one? Oh, if not, we can talk about Firmino because I'm, I'm going to just touch on that. I don't think we touched on it very long, if at we, all, last week. I don't think we 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 tu- we might have mentioned it last week, um, but we didn't go deep at all. So, and you talked to Manuel about it a little bit. So, I'm interested to hear kind of um, if, if you want to let folks who might not have listened to that interview um, how that went, kind of what your feelings are, because um, the old, I have an anecdote I can share in a little bit for those who missed it on Twitter. Uh, yeah, let's see what you say. Well, just to review what Manuel said, that it's it because I hadn't read all these details. So sorry if you've heard this from his episode, but he's on our discovery list, and 
we are the first to put him on it, which is amazing, but that he seems to be more interested in Inter Milan, uh, which who can blame him, right? So, yeah. um, but, you know, the fact that he would fit seamlessly into our roster and they said it on extra time and I was thinking it before uh, she said it. What's the new girl on extra time? Kaden. No. Kaden uh, K- Clark. Yeah. I keep, yeah, I keep trying to mix them up. But anyway, she was saying, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what about Klaus? No, play them together. They're like perfect together. You know, I think they'd be a really cool team up top. But um, like, I, like Manuel said, that um, he's not really leaning our way, but it is absolutely possible in the same way that Ronaldo was possible at SKC. It was very close from what I heard. So if it doesn't work out at Milan, it seems like we might be a good option for him. And, and yes, to get it straight, um, Lutz wasn't just in Hoffenheim when, um, Firmino was there. Lutz found him, I guess in the Brazilian second division. I read, um, in that article you posted, yeah. Matt it was such a good yeah. article. Yeah, the the idea, and that's kind of where my anecdote was going to come in. And it it's Lutz felt like he overpaid for uh, Firmino when he pulled him out of the Brazilian <laughs> second division because nobody really had eyes on him. And and it was like, what are you what are you bringing this guy in with these expectations of I think it was like three and a half million um, signing. And the rumor is, was that. Lutz found him after playing football manager <laughs> and, and he was able to scout him using those kind of metrics. Um, Lutz quickly shut down all of those rumors, by the way, it was a, it was something that I think the sun reported back in 2016 and had been resurrected <laughs> a few days ago. Um, there was a, a very staunch denial of that. And, and it came because he was uh, sitting down with like one of the developers of football manager. And there was like a misunderstanding from the person who was interviewing them uh, but it was it was in fact Lutz just able to scout Firmino and see that talent in the second division. So you know that that speaks more to um, the examples of Lutz and his ability to just pull people from anywhere and what kind of scouting mm-hmm. um, know how he has. Yeah, um, shocking. First of all, the Sun got that wrong and published it. I know. Shocking. Yeah, what are the odds? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's got Celio vibes. We just talked about Celio. Like finding someone in the Brazilian second division and bringing him to Germany—that's not much different than uh, what Virginia Commonwealth, isn't that where Celio came from? Yeah, <laughs> that's like yeah, that's this tiny college. I mean, they're good at soccer, but still, um, you know, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, and who knows? He could be our next Firmino. Yep. And Caden Kyle is the host Thank on uh, Extra Time. I had to look that up because I was like, Clark doesn't sound right. It's Kaylin Kyle. There you go. Uh, Extra Time and uh, uh, 360, I think, a studio host for MLS season pass. But yeah. See you, Ryan. Thanks for joining us if you're in the chat. That's really cool. It's a lot more fun having you guys, especially in this wind down section. It's really good. Yeah, it's definitely nice. I, I really enjoy that. And I think um, the, the Firmino thing, too, kind of one of the uh one of the other roster related items that this plays into is Max Schneider mm. another um yeah. another city signing from city 2 who took up an international spot and we don't know they didn't announce the specificity around his playing for city 2 but they they did confirm that he had been loaned down to city 2 and so whether it is the situation we talked about last week where every team is allowed a one season long loan to their affiliate where we don't we're not provided salary relief but we're provided roster relief mm-hmm. in the sense that um, it won't take up an international slot and we have a player that can replace him on the slot while he's loaned down if Max Schneider is in fact that player who is 
loaned for the season to City 2, or while he remains loaned, we free up an international slot. So that's huge because we had one, and this gives us a second one going into um, the summer transfer window. So Firmino or anybody else, Mm -hmm. uh, as we know, Lutz has commented on it multiple times in public that he wants flexibility to remain. So we have two international roster slots at this moment in time, and we do have an open DP slot. We have uh, for Firmino that would that would come into play for Firmino, and some other things to consider um, non-Firmino related is that we do have young DP U22 slots open. So all these different categories of players that MLS allows you to sign players for, and they don't hit your salary cap uh, for their full salary. We have all these slots open. The, the third DP slot is huge, and teams are. Teams are encouraged to sign younger DPs and rewarded for signing younger DPs in that third slot, but the penalty, more or less, is only 150000 to the league if you sign a DP to your third slot who is over 23 years old. So it's it's negligible, and City has that flexibility in their salary cap, uh, in their GAM, and their TAM right now. Hmm. There, is, there is a considerable amount of flexibility because of how we've constructed this roster, and all of that's going to help. So if we if you figure right now with Firmino in particular, he's making just under 10 million a year. And so he would be a a big bank signing for City if you figure that's the dollar amount that we'd be signing him for. But if we can sign him on a free, I think that would make it a lot more tenable mm-hmm. to to bring him in. Yeah, and so my question is if we were to keep either Schneider or Bartlett on loan at City 2, one or the other, that's one slot freed up. Does mm-hmm. that mean no matter whether he's a U22 initiative, young DP, full DP, does that mean we only get two? We have room for two of those? Or is it like so with Schneider players possibly because of extra slots? So if you with Bartlett signed, if you assume Bartlett is signed as a replacement for Nilsson mm-hmm. right now. So he's only taking Nilsson's slot because he's on the injured list. And Max Schneider is loaned down, so his roster slot is freed up. Mm-hmm. That gives us three open roster slots. Okay. And then when Nielsen comes back, though? When Nielsen comes back, then that, that decision will be what to do with Bartlett. Uh-huh. Um, if Schneider's already loaned down, then it can't be uh, an official season-long loan. But we do, again, have uh, – if, if Nielsen comes back and Bartlett were to take up another roster slot, we still have two open roster slots, okay. two international slots and all those other designations that they could fill. So there's still a significant amount of flexibility. Um, and that's assuming that everybody makes it through healthy and we don't send anybody out. So don't, I mean, don't forget, we could sell players just as easily as we could bring them in, yeah. uh, depending on their form and their, their, how much of a commodity they are. So two open slots, two international slots, that's, a, that's not bad to go into a summer transfer window with. Charlotte's beating us in one regard. They sold a player before their season started. So we haven't done that yet. (laughs) Haven't sold. That was the guy from Australia, right? Um, I think so. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. They sold him to Middlesbrough or something. And he was, he was a a corner piece to their midfield, if I remember correctly. So, well, yeah, they made, they made a lot of money, but I think they're in a promotion slot right now. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Middlesbrough. Yeah. Good for him. Cool. Um, any last ideas you want to bring up maybe one more before we go or are we good that's yeah that's kind of all i had in my notes um you know i think i i i don't know i struggle looking at all these 
different articles. And we talked about um, all these articles that are coming out about City and how it's so cool to see us talked about now positively on the national landscape. People are coming around to what we've been saying for months and months and months. All these benefits of bringing in the MLS players early, City 2, the way we've constructed our roster, the fan support. Tom Bogert's piece on MLSsoccer.com was basically like, He's been listening to flyover footy for months and he had all these things down. Now, obviously that's, that's tongue in cheek, obviously, but he was spot on with all of his assessments on why city is having the success they are. And it's great to see all this national coverage and this notoriety. Um, I, I and, and we always talk about how at some point we're going to have this bad run of form of three plus losses and how, how is the, the team going to react? How's the fan base going to react? Um, you know, I don't yet feel like the other shoe is ready to drop. Mm-hmm. Like the way that this team is in form, the the opponents that we have coming up, I yes, it is a very optimistic point of view to say, oh, we line up well against this team, so it automatically means we're we're gonna win. That's not what I mean at all because MLS is gonna MLS mm-hmm. and MLS after dark exists for a reason. <laughs> Crazy things happen in this league. Um, you know, Kyle Hebert, I joked about his geometry, but that was a pretty crazy bounce that happened. Yeah. And and we're going to give up some of these types of goals. And yeah. the more players that we have out for injury, the more likely that is to happen. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the narrative will look like if and when we do lose. Not if we, if we lose, but when we do lose and, and what it's going to look like when we do lose. Because I can't see this team getting blown out, especially at home. Mm-hmm. I see it more of a nitty gritty um, where if we go down, we're going to continue pressing. We're going to try to stick to our style. We're going to try to make like to Jared Stroud's point in some articles he's had, like he feels like he can spark the team with his play. And he has in certain moments, whether it's getting physical with a player, Berkey's done the same thing where he's getting physical with Charlotte and kind of sparking the fan base, sparking the players to do something when you're down a goal. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know that St. Louis has the fight in them. You know because we've seen it in all three games so far coming from behind. So I'm also interested on the the outside of my thoughts on what the narrative is going to be um, and how we would end up losing our first match when that eventually does happen. Yeah, and I do think, to their credit, I think the MLS pundits are slow to change their minds. So, yes, it's been a slow three-week adoption of, of St. Louis, which isn't that slow, but it's no. it's a bit undeniable. The the, the where we are is, is not an accident. Um, but um, I think one loss, they'll be slow to, to say, well, I told you so. You know, I think that'll, it'll be a while. If, if it's three in a row, I think then they'll start, they'll start trashing us. And... Eh, It'll happen, you know, if not this year, next year or the year after, you know, but um, just prepare for it and uh, temper your emotions, everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, and so before we go, um, I'll give two stats on San Jose because I don't I do not want to end the show on that note talking about like what happens uh, whenever enough. we end up with a loss. So I'll say some some stats about San Jose. And uh, these are these are a couple fun facts on both sides of the aisle. So San Jose, the Earthquakes are unbeaten against expansion teams since 2019. They're one of four teams in that time without a loss. Mm. Um, the Quakes do, however, just have two wins in their first away match against an MLS expansion team. So they don't score, but they haven't lost in four matches. They're three wins, one draw. If you remember, Portland was kind of the same way, though. Portland didn't lose against expansion teams, hadn't lost against an expansion team since hmm. 2016. So that stat might not mean a whole lot, but it's one of those interesting ones. It is. Um, the one thing, though, that another stat that I think is more pertinent is because a lot of these San Jose Earthquake players are 
um, longer tenured on their team. You know, they have a new coach in Luchi Gonzalez, but they don't have a full slate of new players. They have a lot of players who have some history with this team. So since the beginning of last season, San Jose has just one win in 20 road matches in all competitions. Tied with the Rapids for the fewest road wins mm. in all comps by an MLS team in that time. So they're not a good road team, and their one loss this year has come on the road against an Atlanta side that sits two points less than St. Louis. Um, all of that with the play styles, the form that our players are in, and our predictions already i think uh do tell a good tale for st louis going into this absolutely um these are all tackling fuel right this is <laughs> i think saying i think our players are licking their chops at the uh the possession you know I'm, I'm excited to see how they do against that and uh you know i don't think they're going to take for granted that it's going to be an easy out by any means so no. i think we can put our trust in that um that's it guys though thanks for listening this is flyover footy matt Thanks, man. It's been fun. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, had a blast. We'll talk. We'll chat with you guys next time. Bye, everybody. See ya.